5: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. It's been a year since the US transitioned to a three-digit hotline number, 988, to help people experiencing depression, substance use, or suicidal ideation. The hope has been that more lives could be saved with a number that was easier to remember than the former 10-digit number. And contacts to 988 have increased, particularly via text message. Still, advocates say there's more work to do. Only 18% of adults are aware of 988, Staffing shortages remain a concern. So did you contact the line, and did it help you? Coming up on Forum, we look back at the first year of 988 after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In July of last year, a three-digit number, 988, replaced the 10-digit Suicide and Crisis Line, and calls and texts to the line rose dramatically. 988 received 5 million calls, texts, and chats, a 35% increase, and response wait times dropped. This hour, we look at what made the switch successful and what can be improved as a campaign gears up to raise more awareness of the service this fall. Joining me is Dan Gorenstein, host and executive editor at Tradeoffs, a nonprofit health policy news organization that just released a podcast episode about 988. Welcome to Forum, Dan. Hi, Mina. Thanks so much. Good morning. Good morning. And Hannah Wesolowski is with us, Chief Advocacy Officer at NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Hannah, thanks for being with us, too. Thanks for having me. So, Hannah, remind us why the Suicide and Crisis Hotline number changed, what some of the goals were of this.
4: Yeah, you know, previously, uh, there was a 10-digit National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and while many people called for crises beyond suicide prevention, a lot of people didn't know it was a resource for them. Beyond that, uh, in a crisis, the last thing you want to do is try to remember a 10-digit number. It's hard to do under the best of circumstances, never mind a crisis situation. And so, you know, there was a, a pretty significant bipartisan effort in Congress uh, to find an easier way for people to connect to care for a range of mental health uh, and substance use uh, crises. And so the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline came online last year as a resource for anyone in emotional distress to reach out for
5: support and help. Yeah, And certainly, Dan, if increasing the contact volume was a measure of its success. It sounds like 988 did that this past year. Can you give us a sense of, of what the line experienced, the growth it experienced?
6: Sure. There's a real dramatic increase here, Mina, in in, in the number of people reaching out. And in particular, texting. There's a a huge jump. There's about a 750 percent jump in the number of wow. texts, and in, in just in just May of 2023, uh, there were 71,000 texts, and that's that's again a 750 percent jump over May of 2022. And um, you know, just to give a sense of how. Poorly texting had been during the ten-digit line. Uh, only fifty percent of texts were answered. It took an average of fifteen to thirty minutes to respond to a text, and so we're 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 seeing just a huge jump in the number of people reaching out and being able to get services. Which I think, based on the reporting that we've done, a lot of people are really proud of.
5: Yeah. Well, uh, I mentioned that your podcast trade-offs. Your news organization released one about 988. And in it, we meet someone named Naomi who texted 988 when she was experiencing dissociation. I'd actually like to play a cut from your podcast. And it starts with Naomi reading her text thread to you. Let's listen.
7: Hello, I have PTSD, and I've been dissociating for the past
3: five hours, and it won't stop.
6: After a few automated questions, the line connected her to Jess.
3: I'm so sorry you're struggling with this tonight.
4: She was just like, that sounds so scary, and I'm so sorry that you're going through that
3: right now. I know it can be really frustrating and upsetting, so I'm glad you reached
6: out. The text thread felt natural full of emojis, smiley faces, and exclamation points on both sides.
4: You know, I can tell that she's older, um, because she did use periods and, like, she did capitalize her sentences. (laughs) But she was writing with her speaking voice. It was just like she was talking to me.
6: An hour in, Naomi started to feel a bit better.
7: Like I was still shaking and sweating and... I felt panicked still, but I felt like myself again,
5: again, a clip from the trade-offs podcast about nine eight, eight. And then it really is a lovely way of experiencing the power of the hotline. Um, but there was also this detail about how Naomi was able to go back and reread
6: that thread, yeah. yeah. Totally. I'm sorry. Ask your question. I apologize. No, 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 Wait, no, no. I, I mean... <laughs> Feel
5: free when she needed it, right? Which is another benefit that may not have been realized, but for the, but for the fact that there was some real effort to make
6: texting easier, right, Dan? Uh, to- totally. I, I think one of the, you know, Mina, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think one of the things it, to to wrap up with Naomi's story first. Uh, Naomi, the the morning after the crisis, she was unsure a little bit about how she was going to proceed with her day. And she had a special birthday uh, celebration set up for her. And and she was going to, she was in Hawaii and she was going to go for a dive. And this mattered to her. She she had a master's in marine biology. These, these things are more than just, this wasn't just recreational for her. And she said she probably would have canceled, but she had the opportunity not only to have had that experience with the, 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 the person who responded to the texts, but she was able to go back and reread these texts and kind of, you know, I, when I'm in therapy, you, I'm not always able to remember exactly what there is, but if you can kind of go back to that thread and read it, and that's what Naomi did, she was able to kind of hold that. And it meant a lot to her. And I think that's just one of the sort of ancillary benefits of texting and a, a mm-hmm. service like this. And I think one other piece to remember is that like, we, we interviewed, um, somebody who's based a uh, 988, uh, call responder based in, uh, West Virginia, and they said, you know, sometimes people are in the middle of crisis. Their are abusers literally in the home next to them on the couch, and they're able to text about the distress and the, the trauma that they're going through right now. There's an anonymity to texting in a way that you could never do that, right, if you're trying to make a phone call. But texting is, open, is opening a lot of doors, it seems like, yeah. for people. Hannah probably can speak to this better than I can.
5: Was that a clip? from Sean Kinney? Because if it is, we actually Mm -hmm. have it. And I'd love to to play it because you're right, it really does lay out the value and power of texting. Let's listen to that too.
0: A lot of people would not reach out if it wasn't for that option. They could be in a public place, you know, on a bus, in the home with their abuser. The person who's making them feel like they need to reach out is sitting right next to them. Kid was at school, and they were being bullied right now, hiding in the bathroom. They, they texting.
5: You know, Hannah, can you talk a little bit about the types of changes and the infrastructure that was developed to be able to make texting a lot easier to receive and to respond to? Because it really sounds like it was a game changer.
4: Absolutely a game changer. Uh, There's been significant investment, particularly at the federal level, in the infrastructure of the 988 call center network. And there's about 200 call centers across the country, um, and many of them have not had text capacity. So it was centralized centers answering these texts. Um, Because of federal investments and grants to states to help build up that technology, more and more call centers have that capacity. But beyond that, there's also been um, an investment in more specialized services that are available through texting. If you were to call 988, you can connect to the Veterans Crisis Line by pressing 1. You can connect to Spanish-speaking crisis counselors by pressing 2. And recently, a new option, press 3 for um, LGBTQ plus specialized services for youth and young adults. Um, those services are now all available uh, via text as well. And, and marking the one-year anniversary, um, uh, the U.S. Um, Department of Health and Human Services announced that Spanish text and chat were now available. So it's really been about investing in the infrastructure and expanding the types of services available by, via text.
5: Because the need is really great, right? Hannah, can you just remind us of the scope of America's mental health crisis that NAMI has looked into?
4: Absolutely. I mean, we know uh, that one in five Americans live with a mental health condition. We know at the height of the pandemic, four in 10 adults were experiencing symptoms of anxiety and depression. Uh, We also know that LGBTQ plus individuals, especially youth and young adults, have much higher rates of suicidal ideation and suicide attempts. There's a really significant need for us to have resources that are accessible. And Americans uh, largely don't have access to mental health care. Uh, Roughly 160 million Americans live in a mental health provider shortage area. And unfortunately, that means a lot of people don't get the help they need when they need it. And far too many people then fall into crisis and they need resources um, to help them instead of the traditional way we've responded to people in crisis, which has largely been hospitalization or incarceration.
5: We're looking at the successes and challenges of 988, the suicide and crisis lifeline that launched just a year ago to replace the ten. Digit Hotline. We're talking with Hannah Wesolowski, Chief Advocacy Officer at NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and Dan Gorenstein, host and executive editor for Tradeoffs, a nonprofit health policy news organization. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What are your questions about the line? Have you called or texted 988 and want to share your story? Was the experience helpful? Maybe you've volunteered with the Crisis Hotline before and would like to share your experience. You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on our social channels, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram threads at KQED Forum. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. It sounds like, though, Hannah, that one of the challenges is still lack of awareness of 988 as a resource. Um, what has been NAMI's data on that? It sounded like it was less than 20% of adults.
4: Yeah, we did some uh, polling of American adults uh, in June and found that only 17% of adults are familiar with 988 um and what we found was that 2 and 5 uh, people said that they would have no idea what to do if they had a loved one who um was suicidal or in the midst of a mental health crisis that's exactly what 988 is intended to help with and yet people don't know that this resource is available you know overall we found that uh younger adults were more familiar with 988 18 to 29 year olds Um, And LGBTQ plus adults uh, were also more familiar with 988. Mm. But we have a lot of work to do, particularly with older adults.
5: Yeah. And Dan, am I right that there's going to be an awareness raising
6: campaign coming up soon? That's right. This fall, uh, federal officials are planning to unveil a big campaign media blitz. And and Mina, this is some I think something that just a contextual point here that's worth saying a year ago people knew and understood that this was coming um, but 988 folks really wanted to make sure to just kind of slow roll the the out the public publicization of this because they were concerned that there weren't enough people there weren't enough staff mm. ready to answer the calls. call yeah. well, they're ready let's talk about those challenges after the break this is forum
0: support for forum comes from San Francisco Opera
5: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the successes and challenges of 988's first year. And we're going to learn how can better help people struggling with their mental health. Dan Gorenstein is host and executive editor for Tradeoffs, a nonprofit health policy news organization that did an episode on 988 that inspired today's show. Hannah Weselowski is chief advocacy officer at NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Health. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation. What questions do you have about 988? If you've called or texted 988, and and want to share your story, feel free. If you've volunteered with a crisis hotline before, feel free. Maybe you've decided against calling or texting a hotline. Tell us what your reasons may have been and whether some of the things that you are hearing are helping demystify what happens. When you do, the email address is forum at kqed.org. Our social channel is at kqed forum you can find us on twitter facebook instagram or threads our phone number is 866-733-6786 866-733-6786 and tim tweets why are there no federal restrictions on 988 providers regarding the storage ownership and use of crisis conversations as data and whether callers texters consent to this how is that information that data stored hannah or dan do you know yeah, I'm
4: happy to, to jump in. Um, you know, the, 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 the lifeline is confidential. So people do not have to provide any information. Um, there's no way for those call centers to know where a caller is calling from or, or um, anything like that. They may take notes. So somebody calls back and provides information freely. Um, they, they may take some limited notes on that, but, you know, largely there's not a lot of information they are collecting. It makes it really hard to measure, um, the impact of 988 and and who's it's, who it's reaching. Uh, but there are a lot of very, um, valid concerns about protecting information and, uh, you know, and that's often because so many people who have been in mental health crisis have not been treated well and have, Uh, experience traumatic outcomes. And so it's a big concern of how we're going to be protecting information within this network. And there's still a a lack of clarity of how that's going to work uh, moving forward.
5: Well, thanks, Tim, for the question. And let me go to Mary next in Michigan. Hi, Mary, you're on. Hi, how are you? I'm well, how are you?
8: I'm great.
5: And what would you like to share? Uh
8: Well, I'd like to share that I utilized the line last year when it first came out. Um, Prior to that, I had two suicidal um, episodes where I was going to go into the garage and start my car Mm -hmm. and close the door, and uh, I didn't have the access that I felt until I had the 988, so I would call family, which in this instance last year, I did call family, but It was an extra, because suicidal ideations are a perfect storm. It it comes up like a volcano, and you need something to put it out. And Mm -hmm. the family was great, but they were scared. And the people that I called on 988, which was so easy, it was late at night. Um, I think I had been drinking, and I just got calmed down right away. And the next day I felt refreshed from that experience. I haven't used it since.
5: Well, I am so glad that, that it was helpful for you, Mary, and, uh, and just really appreciate also the way that you were describing your experience. Um, I think that it, it really does just shed a light both on what it feels like and what, um, what the line can potentially do or having 988 available can potentially do. Yeah, go ahead. It's an,
8: it's an emergency. It's literally an emergency. You're, you're, you've got your keys in your hand. You're going to go on the car and turn it on. And I didn't because of them and they were wonderful.
5: And Mary, I'm so glad you called. Um, Hannah, did I hear you there wanting to say something? Yeah, first, I just want to
4: thank Mary for sharing her experience. And I'm so glad that she was able to get the help that she needs. We want everyone to be able to access that type of resource. And I think one important aspect of this is no one came to Mary's house. She talked to somebody. She talked to someone in the moment who helped her. And that's what 988 is all about. 911 dispatches services. For 988, the vast majority of callers can get the support and reassurance and connection to other resources over the phone or text or chat. And and that's so important. And having that confidential, safe resource of someone who knows how to talk uh, in that situation and how to provide that support makes all the difference. So thank you, Mary.
5: So the listener writes, where does the money for this service come from? The federal government? Does Congress decide how much to allocate? People complain about taxes but never realize all the good services our tax money pays for. Also, can family call or text for help for a mentally ill person, maybe instead of calling 911 and the police coming? I think the second part to that question is yes, um, in terms of family calling or texting. Um, But uh, Hannah, do you want to also take where the money comes from? And and maybe you can talk about what California has done too.
4: Yeah, the the funding has been a little complicated. It's a, a little bit of a hybrid model. We um, the federal government, Congress, has been allotting a lot of money for 988. Um, they increased funding this past year by five times, which is nearly unheard of. Uh, and a lot of that is going out to grants to states to help fund these call centers. Um, but states are also stepping up to the plate. And NAMI tracks uh, state investments in 988 and related crisis services. And um, we now have eight states that have passed um a small fee on monthly phone bills and what people don't realize is that they already pay a small fee for 911 services on their phone bill and this is a similar type of fee. In some cases, $0.08, cents, $0.12, cents, $0.30. Cents. Um, uh, the highest that was just passed was in Delaware for $0.60, cents, the same as their 911 fee, but it raises tens of millions of dollars for this resource to be available for everyone in the way that it needs to be available. And so some states are going that route. Other state legislatures are, um, including funding in their annual, um, appropriations for this state. So it's, it's a mix of different resources that are helping fund it. And, um, states are putting that together to meet the needs and and make sure that they have the capacity to meet the demand.
6: And uh, Nina, I, I, I'll yeah. just jump in Damn, here real please. quick. And, and, you know, um, this funding really sort of does matter. We we're talking about some of the success around texting, for example. And it, to the best of our ability, we know that about 29 states have local call centers respond to texts, but the remaining states don't. The remaining states rely on these national backup centers. And so when states actually are able to raise consistent, reliable money, they can in- invest in the infrastructure needed to provide these services and and you know think about what what are the implications if you have somebody texting late at night and they are being ref- you know and they're talking to somebody in a national center but they need services that next day that national center might not actually be able to direct the person in crisis to the services that they that they need in the moment. So this money is actually hugely important. And while the number eight that Hannah mentions is is an important number, it also says to us right that there are forty two states yet that have to enact dedicated, reliable funding for these services. And so that leaves those services in those forty two states vulnerable to which way the po- the federal political financial winds blow, as well as what's happening at the, at the state budget level. So yeah. getting dedicated funding actually makes a big difference.
5: And as you you both have sort of alluded to, California is one of those states that does mm-hmm. provide dedicated funding with a monthly phone fee. And as I understand it, Hannah, insurers are also required to cover um, services that may arise, like the mobile crisis response or crisis stabilization and so forth.
4: And, you know California um has been very active on this issue and um passed legislation last year, and it's an eight cent fee this year, eight cents on every phone bill, but it raises more than fifty five million dollars uh, to provide these services um but yes, California also included some requirements so that um for for people who need more help over the phone than over the phone uh, if they need a mobile crisis team to respond in person, which is a a um, team of behavioral health and healthcare professionals, rather than law enforcement, which is often what happens in the past. You know, insurance has to cover the services of that mobile crisis team, or um, if they need to be taken to a crisis center, covers the cost of that crisis care. So, just like if you were to have a heart attack and had an ambulance ride and um, went to the emergency room, you know, if you have insurance, insurance is is, is covering uh, those services. Uh, in California, the, the same expectation for any crisis care you need, receive.
5: I want to bring Karis Myrick into the conversation, California and National Mental Health Advocate based in Los Angeles, also vice president of Partnerships Inseparable, a mental health advocacy organization, and podcast host of Unapologetically Black Unicorns. Karis Myrick, welcome to Forum.
2: Thank you, Mina. Thank you for having me.
5: So, Karis, one of the things that we have learned in hearing about the way that um, 988 responds to people in crisis is that it's a nice alternative to 911. I think one of the things that you've raised is that 911 is often associated with police coming to your door, just as one of the commenters just noted. And I know that you testified, uh, I think, in front of the late John Lewis about the importance of having mental health professionals responding to these. Can you just talk a little bit about the concerns about it being a police response and the perception that it will be as well?
2: Yeah, sure. So thank you for the question, and you know, that is that is a concern because um, you know in the in the past, and and certainly currently, sometimes police are called uh, to respond to um, mental health emergencies. And I think the question becomes, especially for uh, the lived experience community that has um, accessed um, either previously the suicide prevention lifeline or currently the 988 um, suicide and um, crisis line, um, is whether or not police still can be a responder. Mm -hmm. And um, We know that, yes, the line is confidential. And I think the question people are asking is can you please define confidential? Um, Because Mm -hmm. there are times in which um, 988 um, may determine based on quote unquote imminent risk. Again, how does one define imminent risk? But they may define, um, they may decide that they need to have law enforcement um, be the responder. And that's concerning to people because of the um, trauma that that um, causes. And in some cases, um, it, it can um, lead to death. So it is concerning for the community.
5: Dan, in your reporting, how are you hearing uh, localities or states or the federal government thinking about this question?
6: Well, so we, um, privacy comes up a lot because of what Caris just talked about. I mean, the stakes. Couldn't be more high, and there, are, you know, plenty of national headlines. Unfortunately, that these tragic headlines of people dying, uh, who are in mental health, some kind of mental health or behavioral health crisis, and so these risks are very real. And what, what. We've reported on is actually uh, Nami and other advocates and other nine eight eight advocates are lobbying the federal government in part for. And Hannah can really break this down. We we quoted Hannah talking about this. Um, this 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 sort of compromise a little bit. It's called geo routing, and it's basically something what what nine one one does, and it's basically routing calls. Uh, based on a generalized area, finding sort of the nearest call center, but concealing a person's exact mm. location. So that's one way to kind of thread the needle potentially between making sure people get access to local care if they need it, but also trying to protect someone's identity. So that mm. that's, that's one thing.
5: Yes. And so that their specific location also isn't pinpointed. I'm curious, Hannah, if somebody or if NAMI feels that if somebody says they just don't want the police full stop, that that can be the end of that? Or is it more complicated?
4: No, it's it's more complicated. Our ideal is that police are not the, the first intervention we're going to look at when an in-person response is needed. Uh, we don't deal with other healthcare crises like that. Uh, we don't rely on law enforcement to respond. We really are focused on building up mobile crisis teams across the country, mm-hmm. um, which I know is there's a big effort in the state of California as well. So that if an in person response is needed, that's an option that can be offered. Again, mm-hmm. it's healthcare and behavioral health professionals, often peer support specialists as part of that, um, coming to a person and, and helping them. Uh, you know, relying on the police uh, really lays on this idea that people with mental illness are violent, and we know that that is not the case. And uh, we we need to provide a mental health intervention, not a law enforcement intervention. And so, you know, I think there, you know, we do want to save lives with 988, and we know that there are some people that call uh, when they're and their life may be at risk, um, they may be experiencing um, uh, suicidal ideation and, and maybe making a suicide attempt. And so, trying to figure out long-term how we can build trust in the community, protect information, and be able to dispatch those life-saving services. Um, But more than anything, we need to be protecting individuals' privacy and information. And I think the Geo routing, as Dan talked about, um, is a really important resource because, again, that can connect people to local resources but protect their identity.
5: Hmm. Well, let me go to GIA at Travis Air Force Base. Hi, GIA. Thanks for calling. Hi. How are you? So thank you for taking my call. Um, my concern is that I
9: um, uh, had called uh, and I was kind of in a, in a crisis and I was, it took forever to answer. I was put on, I was put on hold a couple of times. Then when the person finally answered, it was almost as if they were just giving me, they weren't even hearing what I, weren't even listening. They were just mm-hmm, giving these like cookie cutter responses. Mm. And, um, and then we were, and and I think the travesty was that we were cut off. Then I again had to go through the process of having to be uh, put on hold, and finally someone came, and I and there were these deep, long silences, and I kept saying, oh, um, "Hello, are you here?" "Oh, I'm here." And then finally, I just said, "This doesn't even make any sense. This mm-hmm. person's not even listening." So what I am really concerned about is someone who is in a an is calling the line, having to be put on hold. Having someone who's uh, is yeah un- uh, responsive to that, and um, but and I think the sentiment of the hotline is wonderful, but it definitely needs to be tweaked, particularly with the, the the people being put on hold. But I thank you so much for this program.
5: Well, gee, I thank you so much for calling and for sharing your experience because it's really important. And Karis, you know even. One of the things that inspired you to get involved in improving the experience of people who use Lifeline services is, as I understand it, because you yourself had a very negative experience with it, right? When you called the hotline years ago. Karis yeah. John Myra? I didn't feel
9: comfortable. I did
5: not. Oh, feel sorry. Comfortable. I'm... Go ahead. Yes.
2: Yeah, years ago when I um, had called the um, longer Suicide Prevention Lifeline number, um, the first time that I called the number, it was really a a scary interaction in that, you know, I felt at the time that I was being um, somewhat belittled and made fun of about the um, choice of the, the method that I was going to use to end my life and, and basically being told, Oh, that doesn't work. So that's really silly. And I thought, well, wait a minute, this is not the conversation I want to have right now. I'm really looking for somebody to listen and to help me. And um, so, uh, you know, I uh, also have had, you know, poor experiences in police response when police did um, actually respond and, and have to um, take me in, in order to be assessed for a um, psychiatric hold and that psychiatric hold was probably one of the worst things that ever happened that turned me away from wanting to be involved in mental health services, especially crisis related services. So, yeah, I think, you know, what I've you know dedicated my life to is that continued um, uh, advocacy and direct um, work using my lived experience to inform and improve.
5: And Karis Jan Myrick is California National Mental Health Advocate based in L.A. and Vice President of Partnerships Inseparable, a mental health advocacy organization. Hannah Wesolowski is Chief Advocacy Officer at NAMI, and Dan Gornstein is host and executive editor for Tradeoffs. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation as we look at the successes and challenges of 988, and we'll go into more ways that it can improve after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking back on one year of 988, the number that was launched to replace the longer 10-digit number in hopes that it would increase contact to the line and be easier to remember. Hannah Wesolowski of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, is with us. Karis Myrick is also with us, a mental health advocate based in L.A. Also, Dan Gorenstein, Executive Editor for Tradeoffs, a nonprofit health policy news organization. And you, our listeners, are with us with your questions about 988, with your experiences using 988. If you have volunteered with the Crisis Hotline and want to share your experience, feel free to do that too at 866-733-6786. On our social channels at kqed forum or by emailing forum at kqed.org. And let me go next to Mariola in Carmichael. Hi, Mariola. You're on. Hi, thank you so much for having
7: this brave conversation and program. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. I really appreciate you saying that. My comment is that um, the conversation around mental health um, needs to be spoken about as not that we're struggling with mental health, that we're advocating for ourselves, that we're doing one of the bravest things that a person can do and reach out when they're most vulnerable to a person who can judge them, who can have bias, who can have personal prejudice. That includes first responders. That includes anyone we come in contact with at the store or even on the hotline. And it is difficult to talk with other people, even when having training. Um, about their most painful, vulnerable feelings and thoughts and ideas. So when we talk about mental health and people when they advocate for themselves, we can say, instead of saying they're struggling with their mental health, which, as we know, we all do, uh, Mm -hmm. frankly, whether we journal or talk to a best friend over wine, Mm -hmm. we all have, what we all have is a human connection to trying to understand Ourselves and other people better. And sometimes we don't have the friends or the family or the society or the culture to support us. So when yeah. we're talking about people reaching out to 988, we want to say, you know, these, these people are advocating for themselves. They're not struggling with mental health. They're actually being proactive. They're being brave. Look at their courage.
5: Well, Marielle, I really appreciate that critique, and uh, I'm sorry if I haven't been stressing the the bravery and the courage enough. And I really appreciate you stressing that to us. Um, so, thanks for that call. Sue writes, "What if anything is being done about the nation's lack of mental health providers? Or are these willing to take insurance, or is this any is there any national program to incentivize people to become psychiatrists or therapists?" I think this gets at uh, more of that infrastructure question and the staffing uh, and training shortages that have been of concern, right, Dan? Can you just give us a picture right now of what you learned um, again in your reporting about how staffing is going? Whether or not there are still a lot of of need, a lot of openings out there?
6: Sure. Uh, I, I know you guys on the show really care about data. Forty eight states still have job openings. Um, that's a lot. And it speaks to, I think, you know, there's a lot of hope around nine eight eight, and there's a there's some amount of hype around nine eight eight. But I think when you hear that forty eight, you know, only eight states have got this dedicated uh, cell phone funding to support it. the forty eight states still have job openings. You really begin to understand just how new, how young. This new service is, and I think that that really, a lot of people. You know, Gia, Gia made the point earlier about being on hold and having somebody being like, "Hello, hello, are you like, are you listening to me?" I mean, it's pretty rough. it's pretty brutal. And I think the reality is like, there's a, a people are trying to conjure this new workforce. They've got to train these people. New standards have to be built. But at the very least, I think. What's exciting, at least to me as a reporter, is that 988 does represent more folks, and I think Mariola gets at this as well, more people are talking about mental health. More people are talking about what do we do in a crisis than we've ever seen, I'm 48 years old, than we've ever seen in my lifetime. I think that is, in fact, something to celebrate, not to rest our laurels on, but like that is progress.
5: Well, Mike writes, I wonder about the potential trauma experienced by those answering calls and texts on 988. How are they being cared for? Karis, do you have any thoughts on this in terms of the people who are on the other end of the line?
2: Yeah, um, certainly, um, you know, having run warm lines before and supporting a statewide line and a um, L.A. county-based line, that um, you know, one of the things that's critically important for people working on the line is to be able to address their own "quote unquote" vicarious trauma, if you will. Or, uh, you know, they answer these calls; they're listening to people in the time uh, where they're most vulnerable and need help. And so, you know, taking time out of uh, you know your day, ensuring that you know your organization even has an EAP program, an employee assistance program. And also, when I was um, running a line, um, you know, I would make sure that people um, stopped a half an hour before um, their um, end of shift so they would have time actually to not just do some of the administrative stuff, but also to sit and debrief before they actually left for the day. Um, so I think those are just a, a couple of things that that can be done. And also to know what your boundaries are. Like I in, in hiring people for this work, we, we found that, you know, some people just weren't cut out for this work, meaning it wasn't in their core gift, but there are other people where this is in their core gift to sit and listen to the distress of, of people. And, um, you know, I do want to back up. Um, into what Dan was saying and and offer people the thought of, well, what if I'm a person who could actually do this? How do I go work for a Lifeline? So um, you can find employment opportunities on the Vibrant page, which is um, 988lifeline.org backslash careers. If you find that you believe you're someone who could actually, um, you know, do this kind of work, it doesn't always involve um, a licensed mental health provider. It can be a peer. It can be a lay person. So certainly, um, I hope people think about how they can also think about their role in becoming a um, call operator or text
6: operator. Mm -hmm. So practical, So I love that. And Mina, sorry, excuse me. one, one 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 other point about this is how much are people getting paid? Right? What are the salaries for these jobs? I mean, we're literally talking about people who are talking to folks in a real difficult, challenging moment. Sometimes, and we've interviewed some of these people who respond to these calls and and texts, they feel like they have saved people's lives. How much is that job worth? Should somebody be paid forty thousand dollars, sixty, ninety? Like, I mean. And this goes back to the money, and it goes back to this infrastructure. And I think when you talk 988, you've got to be talking about, in some way, you're really talking about what kind of mental health infrastructure does our country have? Does it have a, one that is robust enough to actually meet the demands and needs? And part of that can be seen in, well, why, you know, we should be asking yes. this question, why are there 48 states with job openings? What if these jobs paid fifteen to $30,000 more a year? Then what? Yeah.
5: Right. So, the, also the question of what are we willing to commit to have the mental health structure that this country needs? Um, let me go to caller Laura in San Diego. Hi, Laura. Join us. Thanks for calling. Hi. Hi. Uh, what a great conversation.
3: And um, I've had way too much experience with suicide. I've had two people who have succeeded and. My best friend, who's tried twice, and sorry, no. Um, so, I called nine one one the first time, and it was a horrific experience, both for my friend and myself. And I had no idea that, you know, there was such a thing as a fifty one fifty. I just knew he needed help, and the police came. They were really rough. Then we went to the hospital, and that was pretty brutal. And all along the way, I'm trying to explain to people, because I know my friend really well. And at the hospital, they had all these huge guys that were, you know, ready to pounce on me. And I'm like, please, just can, just can you sit down? Can two people just be in there? You don't need all these people. He's you know he was strong but these guys were huge right and they're towering over them and you know and it didn't it didn't go well and so one of it is just also one time i i did call this was when the 10 digit number was and i think other people have reflected um the same experience i had where my friend was a, a very high level executive, and part of his depression was connected with not being able to find work. And that's especially, I think, a, a critical thing, especially for men, but for anyone. And she was like, Well, has he tried to, you know, get a job at Starbucks or something? And it was just like, Oh my gosh, you know. So I'm interested in the training that. Yeah. People get and and um, the gentleman that was just talking about um, paying people we don't pay teachers, we don't pay nurses, we don't pay mental health advocates. And I was just watching PBS and there was this, you know, we pay so many so much for military, they were talking about $75,000 a minute or an hour, you know. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I, guess I, training I, um,
5: yeah, yeah, I, I so appreciate that question about the, about the training. And, and I really can hear how much you care about your friend, Laura, and and just appreciate you sharing those stories with us. Uh, Karis, I'll go back to you on the training sure. question as well, and maybe addressing some of Laura's concerns from the past experiences she had.
2: Yeah, I want to thank Laura for sharing those stories. They're all too familiar. And I was having a bit of goosebump moment because of the similarity in, in my stories and others mm. that I've heard from my peers. So certainly, um, you know, uh, one of the things about the 988 um, is it's not just about the number, it's about the crisis system and the um, continuity of care, right? So um, the idea is that you're supposed to have sort of the safety wrapped around someone to talk to, someone to respond, and if needed, a safe place to go. And if we cause trauma, then those none of those things are safe, and that's uh, really what we need to address. So, what does the training look like? Um, you know, I have I have not seen the training for the nine eight eight. Uh, uh, call centers. Um, however, uh, for training that you know we've done in, in similar types of call centers, it does center around person centered, trauma informed, recovery resiliency oriented, so that we are meeting people where they are, being able to talk um, with them through their emotional um, distress or mental health um, distress. And then um, the goal is to connect people to resources. But some of the things that we, you know, try to do or don't have or like, you know, enough um, peer-based resources. Because sometimes talking to a person who's been through what you've been through can be super helpful, whether that be on your mobile crisis team or in the community through something like peer respite, but um, so um, you know, those are some of the things that can happen. Um, you know, in the the training is also how to do that referral to those um, safe places, community based places, as well as connection to um, other services and supports.
5: We're talking about the successes and challenges of nine eight eight, and you are listening to Forum. I'm a Kim. You know, Hannah. You had mentioned earlier that the 988 line now has specific numbers you can call if you're a veteran, if you need Spanish-speaking services, or if you are LGBTQ+. And I'd actually just love to play a little bit, just to demystify it a bit, and and a cut of what people will hear when they first call the line that shows uh, that those options are available. Let's listen.
3: You've reached the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. We are here to help. Para Español, oprima el número dos. To reach the Veterans Crisis Line, if you are a U.S. veteran or service member or are calling about one, press 1. To connect to specialized support for LGBTQ plus people under the age of 25, press 3.
5: Hannah, I was wondering if you could talk about if there are data on how that has worked, especially among LGBTQ plus youths. And and if they press three, what happens?
4: Yeah, from from all of the information that we saw from the pilot, it has been um, far exceeded their expectations of how many people would reach out. You know, the thing about the LGBTQ plus specialized services, which is so important Is that if that is, if you identify as LGBTQ and you're under 25, you are talking to people when you reach out via 988 that have a shared experience. Um, You know, this specialized service is run by organizations that operate within this space. And the people who are answering the calls are also people who identify as LGBTQ plus.
5: Like the Trevor um, are... Project. Yeah,
4: exactly. And Trevor Project did the pilot and they're one of the organizations um, that will be involved longer term and and staffing this. And that's so important to talk to somebody who has that shared experience and understanding of, uh, of where you are coming from and what you might be dealing with. Yes, everyone's story is different, but having that shared understanding, um, makes such a huge difference and, and for, and people feeling seen and heard, uh, and ultimately supported. And, and that's been really vital. So there was a pilot, uh, demand was incredibly high and now it has become a, um, a permanent resource and, um, will be spread out among more organizations to be able to meet that demand. And, you know, given the high rates, as I mentioned before, um, of, uh, mental health crisis and suicide crisis situations with our LGBTQ plus youth, it's so vital that we have this resource available.
5: Yeah, Dan was mentioning, you know, the the future, the optimism, the hope for 988. And I'm wondering, Hannah, if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, what are some of the bigger plans um, that that 988 wants to be able to to accomplish the goals that it wants to accomplish, the plans it wants to follow?
4: Yeah, you know, the goal wasn't, was never just 988. The goal was that anyone who is in emotional distress, who is feeling suicidal, who's in a substance use crisis, a mental health crisis, has someone to talk to. But if whatever services they need, those services are available. And as Karis was talking about before, sometimes law enforcement's still involved and we can't allow that. I mean, I think Laura's story spoke to how uh, traumatic that can be. Um, And so what we are all working toward is that every community has access to not just 988, but mobile crisis teams for people who need that in-person response, for crisis centers, for people who need a safe place to go. uh, And that no matter where you live, when you dial 988, you have an expectation of what services you'll get. Like I, I, I said about heart attacks earlier, you know what you're going to get for the most part if you call 911 when you're having a heart attack or if you break your arm. We want people who are in crisis to have that same expectation and for everyone to know about it, for it to be second nature like 911 has become second nature for all of us.
5: Well, Kevin writes, I've used 988 twice when I was feeling extremely low and was wishing I weren't here. I'm a single parent and recently embraced my gender queerness, and I felt so alone in this. I'm so grateful for both people I spoke to. I just wept and talked about everything and felt heard. (sighs) Kevin, thank you, and thank you... Hannah Weselowski of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and Karis Jan Meyrick, California National Mental Health Advocate based in LA, Vice President of Partnerships Inseparable, a mental health advocacy organization, podcast host on Apologetically Black Unicorns, and Dan Gorenstein, also podcast host and executive editor for Trade Offs, a nonprofit health policy news organization. Thank you so much for all your reporting um, and for coming on the show today as well. And thank you, listeners. We couldn't do this without you. Caroline Smith produced today's segment. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum.
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation.